Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready to appease the old gods one minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Molly Balin of LittleRedMark.com. In today's episode, we're covering Minute 8 of The Cabin in the Woods. And in this minute, we start with Holden and Marty meeting, and with Marty happy to be getting off grid. And in between, we discover that the Scooby gang is being watched. They sure are. And we get to welcome back today our special guests, Rick and Julia from Mad Max Minute. Well, hello. Hello. Howdy, howdy. Thank you for having us back. <laughs> yeah, our pleasure. So yesterday we were introduced to Marty, the fifth member of our ritual group here, and he is played by Fran Kranz. And if you will all indulge me, I went and looked up his IMDb page because I love looking at actors and seeing what else they've done because IMDb does this nice thing where it highlights the top four movies or projects that an actor is best known for. And for Fran Kranz, those movies are as followed. Uh, The Cabin in the Woods in 2012 is the first on the list at the, the rightmost Moving to the left, we have Donnie Darko from 2001, where he played an unnamed passenger. In 2001's Training Day, he played an unknown college driver. And in 2004's The Village, he played the character named Christop Crane. So, Fran Kranz was born July 13, 1981, in Los Angeles, California. He graduated from Harvard-Westlake School in 1999, which is actually one year behind his future Donnie Darko co-star, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Yaka Gelenhaal? <laughs> Did I say that right? I believe it's Yaki Hallenhaal. <laughs> yeah. So after graduating from Harvard-Westlake, he went on to Yale University and graduated from there in 2004, and while he was at Yale... He was a member of the improv comedy group known as the Exit Players, where they very cleverly replaced the I in Exit with an exclamation mark. So <laughs> That is such an improv name kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Fran Kranz is no stranger to the performing stage. When he was at Harvard-Westlake, he performed leading roles in the school's drama productions, including the title character in Shakespeare's King Lear, And he also played Judas in the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. After filming Cabin in the Woods in 2012, he returned to the stage to play Bernard in Death of a Salesman, which began sort of a career on Broadway that continued with 2014's You Can't Take It With You. Rewinding a little bit to his career on uh, television, in 2009 he was cast as the character Topher Brink, in Joss Whedon's Dollhouse alongside Eliza Dushku and Harry Lennox, which undoubtedly had a role in his being cast as Marty, and later Claudio in Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing. Ah, so he's a Whedon player. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's actually where I came across him for the first time, and Amy Acker, who's also in this movie, is also in Dollhouse. Amy Acker's in this movie? Yep. Where? Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> She's one of the scientists. Oh, oh, okay, okay, I gotcha. It surprised me because speaking of Amy Acker, I was looking through Fran's 
IMDb looking for interesting things, and I found this bizarre little short that he did in 2014. There are only two cast members. It's him and Amy Acker, and the short is called The Lord of Catan. And the, <gasps> the brief, uh, it's, it's 13 minutes long. The brief uh, synopsis is a husband and wife find themselves thrust into an apocalyptic rivalry over a game of Settlers of Catan. <laughs> and so I need to see this. <laughs> I need to find this. And I was really hoping that Joss Whedon was, was part of it, but he wasn't. Have you all played Settlers before? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, yeah. we not only have Settlers of Catan, we have the Seafarers expansion and the necessary have, like, expansions, the expansions for six to eight players because we're not content to only have four people playing at a time. So Yeah, we're, we're big Catan players. Yeah. <laughs> so this definitely sounds like something you, you guys have to investigate and watch. I mean, oh, it'll yeah. only take... 13 minutes out right here. it'll probably take me longer to find it than to actually watch it <laughs> have you guys ever like had a fight from playing settlers or is it pretty peaceful well rick rick is a happy fellow most of the time <laughs> like he's always in a good mood except when Catan is going poorly for him <laughs> okay and then he becomes sullen, and the universe is unfair. Okay. And this is a horrible game. I feel like I need to explain myself. <laughs> there are situations you can get into with Settlers of Catan where you are caught in a no-win scenario. Either your numbers do not come up or the dice are not going your way. You will get caught in an endless loop of not being able to do anything. Mm. You will either never get resources or everyone around you will get resources at double or triple the rate that you're able to get things. And by the halfway point of the game, everyone is you know really close to winning and you're sitting there with what you started with and maybe one other thing. And it's incredibly frustrating because you have no control over your destiny. And mm -hmm. it's not a game that you can rally yourself and work hard to overcome. And you're just stuck, huh? Yeah, yeah and that's why I get so subject sullen. <laughs> to the roll of the dice. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like no fun at all. Yeah. Yep. But luckily, one of the expansions we bought adds elements to the game that kind of let you pull yourself out of a hole. But you know, the same mechanic can be said for playing Risk, which you love. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, the reason why I ask is I actually know a couple that broke up over <gasps> Settlers of Catan. Like, oh, legit. Seriously? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brought them to the brink. <laughs> what level of relationship were they at? Um, You know, I think they'd been together for like six, nine months. So it wasn't like... You know, they had kids and a marriage. Okay, <laughs> right? was, yeah. You know? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> oh, can I just add one little thing real quick, sticking to the Lord of Catan? Mm -hmm. So it's Amy Acker and Fran Krantz. Their character names are Sugar Monkey and Penis. <laughs> I forgot to mention that before. That is an important detail. <laughs> Oh my god. Sugar monkey and penis? Oh yes. my god. That's, that's hilarious. Like a, that's like Can a I venture a guess of who's named who? Which one is which? 
Is Fran Kranz named Penis? Yes. Okay, good. Heavy sigh. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as Fran Kranz is concerned as an actor, he's been working not that long. He started in 2001, and over the last... 16 years, 17 years, however you want to count it. On IMDb, he's racked up about 61 actor credits. Wow. That's movies and film. And the fact that he started with Donnie Darko in Training Day, yes, he's a unnamed character described only by his occupation. But even so, that's a great place to start from. Training Day alone is an amazing movie whose qualities and acclaim precede ever seeing the movie i'm sitting here and i'm raving about it i've never sat down and watched training day (laughs) and that is kind of a crime in and of itself but i know it's amazing (laughs) oh my god last episode you said you weren't a film critic but then you said well maybe i am a film critic and this is kind of this is kind of making me question that. <laughs> this feels like an existential question. Is Rick a film critic or not? If he's never seen the movie, but can still give a hearty review. <laughs> I think as far as Training Day is concerned, it stars Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke is there too. I think that's all you need to say. Denzel Washington is the lead. Oh, because he's never made a bad movie? Okay, name one bad Denzel Washington movie. Okay, Off the well, top of your head I, without looking any up. I don't know. Boom. I didn't like... Well, I personally didn't care for... What was it John Q? You don't know. Rick doesn't know. <laughs> I don't he, know if that movie exists. You could be making his up that movie. And shaking his head at me. You could be Are making we- up John Q. We're getting to a Settlers of Catan level uh, yeah. disagreement here. We might mm-hmm. need to switch up our what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh I think we just need to agree that Denzel Washington is an amazing actor and keep keep going on. We'll just Sounds leave good. it at that and walk away. Okay. <laughs> just walk away. Well, speaking of just walking away, everybody's loading into the old Rambler here, the Winnebago and I'm excited to kind of get everybody together finally all in one encapsulated place. You know, they're all on the road soon here, the, getting ready for like an epic road trip. And I just love how Marty says, you fetching minx, as he pops yes. in to the Winnebago. <laughs> I just love the phrasing, you fetching minx. Do you have any food? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely keeping with that stoner stereotype, too. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, they're always hungry. (laughs) Yep. He's like a stoner squirrel looking for Cheetos. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of the Winnebago, I think, Rick, you also did a little research on, on that. Yeah, it's not just a Winnebago. It is a 1984 Winnebago Chieftain, which is a rather popular model for use in cinema. If you go onto the Internet Movie Cars database, which very similar to IMDB, but this is IMCDB, a little more complicated, but you get it. The <laughs> 1984 model of the Chieftain has been featured in at least 
six different movies ranging from, let's see, 2011's Cabin in the Wood, 1985's Lost in America, 1997's The Sender, and even 2011's Thor featuring our own Kurt in a very different role. Interesting. Nice little connection mm-hmm. we got going there. <laughs> I like the thought that he just drove from one set to the other <laughs> in the chieftain. <laughs> yep. Hey See. guys, I brought my own trailer. <laughs> yeah. um, the 1984 Winnebago is also featured in the movie 2012, the apocalyptic movie. Oh, There's right. people driving around in there. Mm. And between. 2009 and 2017 in a couple of different episodes of the vampire diaries the main characters hang out in a winnebago chieftain so we're just bringing it in another iconic tropey detail Mm -hmm. using this very specific winnebago chieftain cool and the final one that really stands out to me it's not technically a 1984 chieftain but it's a 1986 chieftain the 1986 Winnebago Chieftain is used as the base for the Eagle 5 spaceship in Mel Brooks's Spaceballs. Oh my god. Oh. You just brought such tears to my eyes, Rick. <laughs> yeah, there's just something classic about the look and shape of the Chieftain. And for 1984 specifically, I actually found a PDF scanned in of the the sales brochure for nice. the nineteen eighty four chieftain. <laughs> wow. And it extols the value of it. The the price tag is was very agreeable in nineteen eighty four. It had a plush interior. <laughs> there are a lot of nice full color photos of faux wood interior and gingham upholstery. <laughs> gingham? <laughs> yeah, it's very quaint and adorable once mm-hmm. you get in there. A lot of fall colors, a little goldenrod, and, you know, some oranges, and it does look very plush. It's almost like a mini cabin in the woods on wheels. Mm -hmm. And based on the layout that we see for the Chieftain as they're going around and doing stuff in it, it looks like it's the 1984 Winnebago Chieftain 22RC model, specifically. But let's not get too specific. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on for the little details. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit last time, Julia, you mentioned that there's a lot of foreshadowing happening by what Marty is saying. And he kind of adds a little bit more to that here where we're talking about this isn't even on the GPS, the road that they're going to take and that, you know, they sort of talk about getting off the grid and all that kind of stuff. We're going to find out later that it's, there's reasons why that there's no GPS. And then we also get this curious fellow on the roof. And this is the first little hint that the guys that we met at the beginning of this film, teen adventurers, may have some sort of connection. What did you guys think of this guy? Well, Julian mentioned about how chilly this seems, that you could see Kurt's breath. And one of the things that 
similarly I notice is that he looks cold. It looks like there's like a cold wind blowing through and he's got like a full jacket on. And I think the implication is that this is supposed to be summery because they're going to go go swimming eventually and you right. know, go hang out in the cabin. But, you know, he looks cold and a lot of those trees look a little barren. There's also this really sharp, dissonant, classically disorienting horror music as a transition. So they do this long shot up the building and there's still that rock music they have when they actually pile into the Rambler and it shifts into that I think they they use sound, that sound clip quite a bit in horror movies where the reality shifts slightly and it's just like a regular dude <laughs> right up on the top so it's kind of an interesting visceral sense that you have the horror sound plus well it's it's like a surveillance dude who's like you know yay we're we're up here these guys are being watched and nest is empty we are right on time he looks like such a normal guy he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't look like any sort of like super spy or anything like that. And then also going back to, at this point, we have, we've checked in with the facility and we've met Hadley and Sitterson. And they're just like normal guys wearing normal work clothes. Like they're right. going to a normal job, and but it's mm-hmm. not a normal job. <laughs> and also this guy doesn't seem to be hiding. Oh no, he's perched up there like Batman for everyone to see. Yeah. <laughs> When I see him up there, it makes me feel like he's on a film set or something, I guess, because he's also giving instructions or, you know, talking about what's just happening. So it makes me feel like he's, yeah. Like he's just an assistant director or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he's kind of dressed like that, too. He has something around his neck. Yeah. That's a microphone. There are microphones that you can wear around your neck and because they sit right up against your throat, they catch the vibrations from your, Mm. from uh, your speech. And so you don't need to have a little boom microphone coming out to the side of your face because it catches everything natively there. So he's still got the earpiece so he can hear, but he doesn't have to have any sort of obnoxious microphones hanging off his face or hidden in his sleeve or anything like that. He can kind of retain full range of motion oh i do that's a great uh, yeah i'm glad you knew that rick the other thing i have a question about that is you know he he does the thing that we see so often in films where he puts his fingers up to the earpiece (laughs) now do people do that because they just feel like compelled to do it is it a movie trope or or, or do they need to do it for some reason? Well, it's possible that he's holding his hand up to his ear, A, because the the call trigger might be on his earpiece, because he's got the microphone down around his, his neck. He might need to activate it, you know, like you would any sort of radio or walkie-talkie. He also might just be holding up his fingers to his ear to kind of press the the earpiece further in or kind of block out the sound around it. When you see people raise their hand to their ear they're doing that to block out the sound around them because they don't have the volume in their earpiece turned all the way up it's it's usually a bad idea to have an earpiece and have it turned all the way up and so you keep it a little bit lower in case any feedback comes in out of nowhere and even then it might be a little too overwhelming but you know it's it serves a practical purpose it's not just a a movie trope or anything like that although it definitely feels like it (laughs) It feels like it because it's also like 
such a um, an image that you understand. Like when you see somebody do that, you go, oh, that's a FBI or oh, that's a you know Secret Service or like um, in um, I think it's the cold open of Casino Royale where. Mm-hmm. Where James Bond is telling the guy that he's talking to, quit put you know, quit putting your hand up to your ear, and it gets the guy, you know, caught mm-hmm. because he's supposed to be incognito, but he doesn't look like it because he keeps putting his hand up to his ear. Well, you got the agents too from Matrix who all have the earpieces, and that's part of the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Another Joss Whedon movie that includes a lot of people putting their fingers up to their ears for seemingly no reason is actually the 2012 Avengers movie because all of the members of the Avengers team during the attack on New York are constantly putting their hands up to their ears and talking to the other members of the team as if they have radios even though none of them really seem to be wearing earpieces at all and so Mm. it's kind of funny that Whedon just uses that visual shorthand to make it look like they're talking on a radio when really they're none of them are wearing microphones or transceivers or anything like that i think even thor at one point you know responds to someone on a radio and it's like why would thor have a radio it's kind of funny it really is so julia i think you said there was something about Something about the GPS and being off the grid that was getting your goat. I think that might have been me, actually. Yeah, I think it was Rick. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So so Jules is sitting there in the front of the Winnebago, and she's holding this GPS in her hand, reminding me that it was so recent that we didn't all have GPS on our phones, but... She's complaining that the road they're on is not showing up on the GPS. I think she begins by saying, I hope this is the right road. And I kind of have a bit of an issue with that because the GPS maps that are installed on the handheld units come from paper maps that were already released. And so if this road isn't on her GPS, it must be incredibly new, like inside of like a year or something like that. Because otherwise when they plug it in to the computer to update it before they leave, unless they haven't updated it in like three years, that map should include that road because this is not a new road. It goes by so many old things that it should at least be on some sort of map. Well, it's not on the map because the facility doesn't want it to be on the map. They have fixed it (laughs) so that it was never on paper maps. It's not in the GPS. It kind of is almost like it's in an alternate reality okay. in a way. Like once they take off, because I, I know what you mean, like because they're driving through their, their um, you know, any town USA. But then the next time you see them and she's talking about this, they're only surrounded by trees. Yeah. And I think the idea, like you said, Julia, is that they're they're in this like other world almost that this is the manufactured experience and so it wouldn't be on a gps it's only there because you know we don't really know how the rules of this world work Mm -hmm. but it's only there because they uh wanted to guide them there so i think the unspoken text is that kurt has been driving without the aid of the gps this whole time and jules has just been sitting there i guess keeping an eye on it 
So he's probably going off of instructions that he got from his cousin or something like that. Right. Turn here, turn here, turn there. And Jules is sitting there trying to follow along. And then all of a sudden he, she just sees, you know, no signal. Okay. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I think you're right. I did not get that idea when I was watching <laughs> it initially. It took me a little bit of time to catch up, but I'm here now. Well, I think it's played as just telling us how far out in the middle of nowhere they are. We right. know that it means something more because we've seen the movie before. <laughs> but to someone watching with a fresh pair of eyes who doesn't know the the whole story of the movie yet, it just tells the viewer that they're so far out in the middle of nowhere that things don't exist anymore. Totally. And you also get this this plush interior that you mentioned earlier. <laughs> we get the nice, uh, yeah, sort of browns and burnt oranges. And, and uh, those, those chairs, like, it looks like they're in recliners, practically. Mm -hmm. The driver and passenger, she gets that, that seat that, like, swirls around to the back. It's pretty plush. Yep. It's the height of luxury in 1984. <laughs> well i think there's a good symbol here about you know when we think about camping and i don't know if you guys are campers or not but there's this sense of i'm going to go get away i'm going to go get away from the trappings of technology and so i think that's something really common with a lot of people of you know we're, we're going to take off here but it's interesting is that there's a no, a little bit of a transition point. So we just see them in this kind of nebulous transition area of like, oh, hey, we've gotten off grid. And that's why Marty's like, that's the whole point. The whole point is for us to get rid of the technological trapping. So he doesn't, you know, this is a point that this is supposed to be kind of scary. Like we can't find ourselves. That's the whole, we're being regulated. The tools are supposed to help us, but we're trying to get away from all of those tools. Yeah, we're big tent campers. And so when we go out into the national parks that we frequent, I mean, we go without any sort of finery that you would find in a 1984 Winnebago. But <laughs> yeah, just this past Labor Day weekend, like you go out into the woods, you throw your phone in the car and you just leave it there. And this past Labor Day weekend was particularly rainy. And at one point we hopped in the car and you know, went to the local Bass Pro Shop to walk around and be dry for a while. And it kind of felt like <laughs> cheating. Because when you go camping, you go out into the campground and you don't come back to civilization for the entire time. It's the appeal. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm really feeling like I need to do that for myself. Not, not go out where it ends up raining all the time, <laughs> but really disconnect, you know, like I love doing a podcast, but then we're, you know, promoting it and, you know, getting on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, you know, connecting. And then with my coaching business, I'm doing a lot of, you know, socializing through, the internet and oh my gosh i'd be lost without my gps i mean i definitely love having that safety net you know yeah. on the phone but i really do get that pull that sense of wanting to really really unplug and and you know for for days at a time not just like let's have an unplugged hour you know or really mm -hmm. get out there in the boonies but i do feel that that 
connection, you know, to my phone, the, the safety of being able to connect is really strong. Absolutely. I like mm-hmm. Marty's explanation of why it is so important that they go out into the boonies because, like you said, these trappings of modern convenience can just turn into normal traps after a while because, yes, it frees us to communicate with people all over the globe, but then we put ourselves into these situations where we feel like we need to be there and it ties us down and it distracts us from other activities that we could be doing. And so these weekends away where you don't have access to your phone, where you don't have to worry about email, where if someone tries to call you, you don't have to worry about it. It's restorative in a way. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend it too. Yeah. And I think when they talk about society, society, oh, is society unraveling Marty? Is that in this minute or the next one? It's in this minute. And he, he has some interesting things to say about society. Yeah. I think it starts in this minute mm-hmm. and then it wraps up in the next minute. Yeah. And it, I think it could be read rather deeply uh, talking about how society is filling in the cracks with concrete Mm. Um, yep, because society wants everything to be smooth, right? Yes. And binding, and and connected, and not you know the opposite of unraveling. Mm. So I, I really, yeah, that definitely gave me some some food for thought when because uh, again it's a little trope like oh are you you know here you go on your rants and I missed your rants and society mm-hmm. unravel you know but it, it's it's something like you said little bit deeper Mm -hmm. (laughs) that things are almost like wound too tight and that maybe we just need to break it all away and start all over again if we dare (laughs) yeah there's a comment about privacy here too like you know the whole point is to go away so i don't get you know so someone isn't gpsing my ass for a little bit (laughs) you know that i'm not always being you know, watched and tracked. And, you know, I just think of going to work and there are these like hefty traffic cameras. And I don't know what it's like for you guys, if you have these, but I just, there's a part of me that's just so frustrated. And of course there's like a little warning of like, you know, you're going 35, you know, you're hitting the limit here. And so it gives you a little bit of time before they take the photo and then screw you with a ticket, you know, in the mail. (laughs) But it's that kind of thing of, you know, yeah, this is a public safety thing, but it doesn't feel super public safe when I get a $200 bill in the mail. Yeesh. Yeah. And to to connect back to that show I mentioned a while back that Amy Acker was on that I I really grew to love that um, we called it Interesting People Stories, but it's called Person (laughs) of Interest. (laughs) That's what it really deals with a lot. Um, So that was created by Jonathan Nolan uh, Christopher Nolan's brother and, and collaborator and that show deals a lot with this safety versus privacy factor. In fact that really ends up besides the interpersonal stories between our uh, ensemble cast including Amy Acker um, there's that's the whole thing is that there's this supercomputer and the the person who made the supercomputer is constantly at battle with this decision of how how it can be used to you know help us be safe but at what cost you know right mm. down to like predicting 
something might happen and maybe, you know, trying to get in, in there at the beginning and, you know, kill somebody because they're supposed to be, because that's, you know, kind of the kill one person to save a hundred kind of a thing. And that that's a thread that runs through the hmm. person of interest and... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was in the, my at my I stayed at my dad and stepmom's last weekend, and I was in their restroom, and they had a a speaker in that restroom that was an Amazon speaker, and, and it was like a cylindrical speaker on the bathroom sink, the vanity, and and I I thought, oh yeah, my stepmom probably uses this to like as a speaker to maybe you know, listen to a, a a book on tape. She really likes that. Oh, not but you know a. Mm-hmm. Uh, audible book but <laughs> i was just looking at it and all i could think of was like is there something in this speaker even though it's turned off like recording what i'm <laughs> like humming as i brush my teeth or you know getting ready and like i turned it around when i went <laughs> to take my clothes off to take a shower <laughs> and yeah speaking of gps like you know, Google Maps, when you look at Google Maps, there'll be like a picture of my smart car parked in our driveway. And it just gives you a creepy feeling sometimes when you see, you know, somebody's monitoring you and, and your movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had two friends who hadn't seen, we bought a house a few years ago and then they stalked me on Google Maps to like check out the house. And I was like, <laughs> wow, that's, you know, I'm, I appreciate you looking but at the same time anybody can do that exactly when i'm going out to to grab a bite to eat and i look down at my phone and it says oh it looks like you're at burger king the first thing i think of is a phone don't judge me but b (laughs) you know who is seeing that list it's really easy to get on board with this idea that marty's really pushing about getting outside of that realm of tracking and to go a little off topic, one funny thing I like to do with dialogue is whenever someone uses that phrasing in this instance, he says, so that they're not GPSing my ass in other situations where people use the word ass, obviously they're never actually talking about their behind, but as a fun thought experiment, I like to think, well, what if they are like he, in this instance, Marty would be really concerned about them specifically tracking his butt. And he needs to get away from that. Or like when people say, oh, I've had a long ass day. I think, okay, so you've had a day in which your ass was really long, you know, or, oh, this guy is such a wise ass. And it's like, okay, so he's like a really experienced donkey, you know, (laughs) it makes my life a bit more funny (laughs) because I get to just do that behind people's backs. So. Well, we were talking about Wes's ass, I believe, in the last yes, episode as a, as a litmus test for temperature. And now I kind of want like a thermometer of just like a picture of Wes's ass that would, you know, if it's too cold, it's, you know, it gets all goose bumpy. And then if it's really warm, then it's kind of heat sinking. So it's kind of like Predator. <laughs> you know, I think that's something that... We can maybe sell here. <laughs> Once again, I like it. a lost opportunity for marketing. <laughs> maybe we can get Think Geek on it. Yes, absolutely. That's right yep. up their alley. <laughs> totally. I have a quick huh. question that's completely off the topic. Awesome. Dana, 
have you guys discussed so far in previous episodes how much how how much she's done up she seems mm. her her makeup and hair and outfit just seem a little like she's trying really hard that's a good well i'll tell you what when we froze on last minute it's but just before we had you on guests when we froze on the minute before two minutes ago i did mention just how very pretty she looked you know kind of ethereal and her hair looked very nice Mm -hmm. and i don't think i specifically said the word makeup but yeah she looks kind of done up but we did discuss the fact that the um, costumers very purposefully start you out with a grouping of people where they're going except for marty everybody else as the movie progresses and as they're manipulated by by the team is that she starts out as being the person who's sleeping with her professor and dancing around in her underwear so that's sort of the symbols of the slut and then that Jules has the relation you know stable relationship Mm -hmm. and you know the cute little sundress so she's sort of more of the virtuous virginish type and that the guys it's similar so so the we get Kurt could be like a jock because he's throwing a football, but then the guy that catches the football, um, what's his Holden? name? Jesse. Oh, Holden. Holden. Okay. Holden's the one that looks a bit more like a jock, and they you know mention that he plays football, whereas Kurt is the one that, you know, talking about studies and talking about the books specifically, and so he's sort of like seems the studious guy. So it could be a little bit with that where she's supposed to be kind of I don't know a little bit more sexy-ish I'm not sure but it looks I don't know I really like that idea because when I was prepping these minutes I got sidetracked for like 45 minutes (laughs) on reading the the wikia entry for Marty and they talk especially in the comments down below how he starts out he is coded as the fool but then mm-hmm. throughout the movie and through his actions, he changes his trope into the hero. And so other people are doing the same thing. Their trope changes throughout the movie. Nothing is what we think it is, which is mm. a, a huge theme of the movie in general. And they are playing along with that. They are, they are not who we think they are. Yeah, definitely. And... Yeah, even though his costuming doesn't really change as as much as I can recall. I yeah, he definitely so. isn't the person you might think, oh, maybe the virgin's supposed to die for, or the, you know, the slut's supposed to die first and maybe the fool's going to die second or, you know, something like that, something predictable. And maybe, you know, the guy that's going to be Thor, maybe he's going to be the one that survives, but... No, he does not. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler Spoiler alert. alert. (laughs) Cool. Is there anything left that you guys wanted to comment on in this particular minute? Just as a quick wrap up for this minute, the song that is playing as they drive off is The Sound, parentheses, John M. Perkins Blues by Switchfoot from the 2009 album Hello Hurricane. And the motorbike on the back of the Winnebago that we see is a 2006 Kawasaki KX250F. Nice. 
Excellently reported. Thank you for the <laughs> thorough research. <laughs> Sounds good. This is Rick in the uh, field. Heidi, back to you in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm done over here, so I think I'll throw it over to you, Miss Molly. Okay. <laughs> So we'd like to thank you for listening to episode eight today. We are Molly Balin. And Heidi Bennett. And this is Cabin Minute Cast. Want to give a very special thank you to our guests, Julia and Rick from Mad Max Minute, who will be coming back on Friday to close out the week with mm-hmm. us. So where can the good folks at home find your podcast? All right. Well, you can find the Mad Max Minute on iTunes, Google Play, and through the RSS feed found at our website, you can follow the Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at our listeners page, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and the aforementioned website, MadMaxMinute.com. Okay, thanks guys for joining us. Thanks all of our listeners, and uh, join us for episode nine to find out further virtues of being off the grid. So thank you again for tuning into Minute 8, and we'll see you back at the cabin. <laughs>